Welcome to Stay Connected, the podcast of the German Embassy in London with me, Raphael Honigstein, and Kit Holden from Berlin. Kit, nice to be on the pod with you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here too. Right, Kit, I think we're here because there's a big tournament starting, <laughs> uh, apparently. Although when you're in Germany, you're not even sure if there is one on because a lot of people are pretending it's not there, making themselves beliefs is not there, boycotting it. And what's your attitude, first of all, to the World Cup? Oh, it's it's torn. It's torn. I mean, it's it's not a World Cup like any other, is it? But um, I I don't know. I I, I as as a as a British German uh, with with Danish background, it's the first World Cup ever where all three of my teams, Wales, uh, Germany, and Denmark, are, are at a World Cup. So I can't help but being uh, a little bit excited for that. But uh, but yeah, as you say, in Germany, the the conversation has been very much. Uh, uh, more about the political side of things and whether or not well, we should be boycotting it, whether or not you know fans should be even watching it at all. I think I think to me if we if we take it away from the kind of I think everybody has has gone through the the difficult conversations and knows all the difficult topics. But uh, I think one of the the nice things um, of the whole boycott movement that I assume in the last two weeks is that a lot of people are calling for uh, instead of watching the World Cup, go and watch women's football or lower league football or something like that in Germany, which is. Uh, it's quite a nice kind of byproduct of it. So, you know, if, if that's what happens in the next few weeks, then then at least that'll be uh, something we can all get behind. And how much of that you think is real and how much of that is just playing to the crowd? I mean, will you be watching secretly and you and telling your friends, no, no, I've been watching the women's, uh, women's game, no England, no Denmark. <laughs> I think I think probably most people will will break right. I mean, if if their team starts doing well, particularly, then then you know I think you need to be pretty uh, pretty strong will to avoid it completely. But uh, I don't know. I feel it's also it's one of those things, isn't it? That that with a tournament, you know, part of the reason that everyone's everyone's so upset is because these tournaments are and have always been used as kind of um, you know soft power tools and so it is basically all about about symbolism and and, and making stands and, and making statements and so you know in some ways i don't think that's that's necessarily wrong that people might you know make their statement but then not be 100 percent uh consistent with it and maybe watch the odd game i think that's also fine so um yeah we'll see but i mean i i i personally my take is that you know if, if wales denmark and germany all get knocked down in the group stage then i'll be boycotting it uh as hard as i can possibly boycott it yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just the way that I kind of boycotted Russia after Germany got knocked out. Yeah. How are you feeling about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, all the emotions I think that you described, I'm slightly less offended by the idea of it being there than I was about Russia. I felt very bad about being in Russia. Um, I think Russia is a much worse and more malign influence on the world than, than Qatar. Qatar obviously suppresses its own people, doesn't grant human rights to women, to LGBTQ plus community, to journalists, obviously not democracy, but they don't necessarily work to destabilize the rest of the world, rest of the Western world, the way that the Russians do, and don't shoot journalists on, on site. So I've I felt worse about Russia. I think it's good that Qatar is getting a lot of heat, that people are are looking into this. But I'm also sometimes thinking, is football being held to, to an impossibly high standard compared to normal life? If, let's say, there's a company I work for and they get a big offer from 
Qatar or from Abu Dhabi or from Saudi Arabia, would that company turn down the money? And if they didn't, would I stop working for them? Really not so sure what the answers are, uh, especially now that uh, we need, uh, I say we as in Germany, we need Qatari gas and we need solar energy from the Gulf to wean ourselves uh, dirtier energy. So it's really tricky, really tricky. But I thought Russia is beyond the pale. It should never be there. Mm -hmm. But most people thought, oh, it's a big country. People are very nice. Um, why not? Whereas with Qatar, I think people have very strong opinions, but perhaps slightly overblown in my view. I guess it's one of those things as well that it gets to the heart of like what, what international sport should be there for. And, and, you know, the kind of FIFA line is, oh, it's, it's there for uh, what in German you'd call Völkerverständigung, uh, you know, the, the exchange between cultures and, and, and uh, meeting between cultures on a, on a platform, which is, which is by definition apolitical. Um, but can it really be that when you have an event which is, you know, so influential and, and so widely watched as the World Cup, can can you actually have that in the modern age of, of media and the amount of money that's going around and, and the kind of and also with the with the corruption, uh, you know, uh, allegedly involved in the way it's the way it's uh, awarded to countries. So, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a kind of fundamental question, which I think you're right to say is not unique to Qatar. I mean, these these things um, were there four years ago as well. Yeah, I, I think the corruption point is that it's obvious that corruption was involved in the Russia bid as well. It's obvious that Germany weren't completely squeaky clean, let's put it this way, when they won the uh, World Cup in 2006 and all the investigations that have followed. I think Qatar, because they didn't fit any of the criteria, was the most blatant one. And people just thought, you know, there's only one reason why it's there. But I do sympathize with people you know, I was speaking to somebody who who lives in Dubai just the other day. He said, "Yeah, yeah, that that's all fine, but people are generally happy that it is coming to our region. Um, you know, we do love football, and it's great that football is going to be with us. It might not have come in the you know most uh, how should I say um, conscionable way, but it's still there and." I'm beginning to maybe think that maybe I've been over cynical because you see, you know, people from Tunisia and Morocco partying and you see um, Indians who live there really celebrating the fact that England are there and, and it, it is genuine. And the reaction is to say, oh, these are not genuine fans, but it, as far as I can tell, it is very genuine. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe, maybe our sort of ideal version of a World Cup leaves almost no countries to play <laughs> to play it in. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's good that these questions are being discussed. I think it's good that people really care. I think it's good that um, the Qataris are being held to account to a certain extent, at least for the duration of the tournament. I think afterwards people will very quickly forget and move on. But I don't have this very strong sort of black and white approach that uh, a lot of people seem to have. And I, I'm not disparaging them for it. I just feel a lot more in gray area and colors of gray, various shades uh, towards that. As I do with most football tournaments, most football competitions these days. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think uh, there should be more scope generally for... Uh, us as journalists and, and football fans to kind of 
embrace the gray areas and, and not always have to take a, a firm position on something as well, right? It's, uh, you know, most things are too complicated. I think, I think as well, like, I think my, my kind of personal takeaway as well is that, is that perhaps it can also be a, the, the scrutiny that, that Qatar has been put under from, from, you know, the wider world and, and football fans in the West, particularly, um, if you were to take anything long term, I mean, it's out of our control, you know, whether Qatar pushed through with their reforms or whether, you know, FIFA is reformed or, or you know, there's any kind of long term um, effect of, of the debates going on at the moment. But what is in our control is that we can maybe take the lessons of this and apply the same kind of scrutiny and, and uh, criticism to future World Cup hosts, whether it's, you know, America and Mexico or Saudi Arabia or Germany or whoever it is um, gets that, you know, I think there's there's um, perhaps scope there to kind of say, well, yeah, maybe maybe as football, we need to look critically at everyone, not just not just, you know, one host. No, absolutely. But my my fear is that now, you know, Qatar acts as a magnet for for that scrutiny, if you will. The moment the World Cup is over, I don't think anyone's going to give any thought about the the rights of workers in the Gulf. I think both the beauty and the ugly part of football is that the moment the game kicks off, it has this habit of making everything else seem very relevant. And I think we all need that. We need that escapism. At the same time, people pay good money for that because they know they um, people are sort of diverted um, and distracted from from other stuff when when football's happening. But I think it's impossible to completely just say, at least for me, um, I don't care if Germany play Brazil in the last uh, in the last eight in the quarterfinals, you know, I'll do something else, read a book, not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. When Wales win the World Cup, I'm not going to stoically uh, uh, sit and eat my breakfast at 11 o'clock in the morning and, and pretend nothing's happening. Kid, what would you say is Germany's or German football's attitudes towards the England team? Are they being seen as uh, big rivals and we want them to lose and perform as badly as possible? Do people sort of like them but don't admit to it? Actually, do they like them and do admit to it? What is the their position in the in the German order of things? Yeah, I think it's a it's a kind of a, a complicated relationship, isn't it? Um, I think there's a there's a tendency among. Um, English-speaking German football fans to kind of dismiss it and say, oh, you know, Germany doesn't care about England anywhere near as much as England cares about Germany, and it's all very one-sided, this rivalry and everything. I don't think that's strictly true, because um, if you just, you know, look at the amount of headlines the Bilt uh, have, have done over the years about the Wembley goal in, in 1966 and whether it crossed the line or, you know, all these different kinds of things or, or the way that, that certain people gloat in the headlines when... Um, when England lose, I, I I think there is a certain a certain two sidedness to the rivalry, um, but I, I do think it depends who you are. I think in, in some ways it's quite a um, uh, it, it is almost the same situation as you have the other way around, where I think um, people who are perhaps less inclined to support Germany in Germany. Um, would be likely to pick England as, as the alternative team um, in the same way that people who are, who are very much inclined not to support England would, would naturally maybe gravitate towards Germany as a, as a traditional rival. Um, I think we're definitely the, uh, the Scots favourites um, yeah. at this, <laughs> this tournament and, and, and the Irish might, might support us as well. 
Yeah, I was chatting to um, I was in Wales uh, last week, and I was chatting to a guy who is is uh, you know been a Wales fan for decades and has been going home and away to Wales games, and and he was sort of talking about how he's going to Qatar, but it's been you know tough because it was so expensive and and all the the moral um, questions around it and stuff. But uh, he said he was he was really hoping they qualified for Germany because Germany was his, his favourite place to watch football, and, and and Germany was such a fantastic football country. And I was thinking, hmm, okay, an hour down the road on the other side of the English Welsh border, you probably wouldn't get somebody. <laughs> Being quite that nice about Germany or German stadiums, but you know, there we go. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there are some very complex feelings going on because I think if you are a football fan in Germany, you have a natural affinity for English football and therefore, to some extent, for the England team, especially because they're not really, I think, seen as threatening um, as far as uh, our record is concerned. But at the same time, the Premier League's dominance, I think, breeds, if not resentment, then certainly an appetite to see them fail, just as it would be the case with a big Spanish side, uh, you know, Barcelona doing badly or Real Madrid or, of course, Italy and the Netherlands. So it's it's the, the, the sheer magnitude of, of English football, I think, that makes now Germany perhaps slightly happier when they fail than before when it didn't really matter all that much. I, I can't remember a single person in 1990 thinking, wow, you know, we've beaten England. That's amazing. Of course, people were happy to get into the final, but the fact that it was England just didn't register at all. And you see, and all the players are just kind of talking to each other and Mateos is consoling the players and just never really, I think, no one was really aware of that extra dimension. Well, the 5-1 in, in 2001 as well is another one, I think, that, that you know often England fans will talk about that. And for them, it's, it was such a massive result, not just because of the scoreline, but because it was Germany, whereas for the Germans, yeah, okay, I think it was a, a, a traumatic experience, but because they lost 5-1 at home, and that would have been the same if it had been against any team. It wasn't the, the fact that it was England that, that really upset people. Right? Yeah, plus it was a qualifier, so you know <laughs> we don't tend to remember results from qualifiers very much because we, we qualify for World Cups. <laughs> Um, unlike some teams, yeah. <laughs> um, and we we win occasionally. And you even got to the final of that of that particular World Cup. Somehow. We did, we did somehow. Yeah, getting a little bit lucky. I think it was so. Two thousand and two was Germany's version of England and Russia, um, playing pretty dull football and having a very easy draw. Then the first proper team you meet, you lose. Um, <laughs> we only met Brazil in the final. How do you think that that German football is seen right now in in England? My sense is that there is a this duality at play. That you have some fans who look at Germany as sort of almost a promised land, uh, very organic, uh, no outside control, standing sausages, beer, uh, democratic clubs, and others maybe who are more who are different a different type of fan who are perhaps more interested in their own club or more interested in the spectacle just say well this is all very well but football is really about the quality of the players and the quality of the players is really about the money in the game and i'm not really interested to see the second or third best league and maybe the 10th 11th best team in europe play it just doesn't do anything for me do you agree with that that you have those two camps and where would you say where is the the majority at this point if there is one i think probably Sadly, the majority is on the side of, uh, you know, the Bundesliga is objectively a lower standard of football than the Premier League. And therefore, why would I watch that? 
rather than the Premier League. But I do think the Bundesliga has been very successful in and certain Bundesliga clubs in particular as well, but the league as a whole in marketing itself as deliberately something different, like you were talking about with the beer and the atmospheres and the and the democratic clubs. And there's this 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 deliberate push to say, you know, this is where this is a league where where football is is about something more than just the players on the pitch and the results and the, you know, the the individual skill and all these things and whether you've got the best players or the best managers or whatever. It's about the people and the, the communities and the, the histories and the cultures of these clubs. Um and I think that was a savvy move. I would say probably they 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 started going down that that road about about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And it and it kind of was yeah, it was a sensible thing to do, partly because you you needed that as the Bundesliga or as German football, because you're never going to keep the pace or overtake a Premier League or a La Liga um with the structures and the and the history and the linguistic barriers that there are in terms of money. So you need to find, you need to carve out your own niche, as it were. Um, but in some ways I, I feel it, it long and midterm, it might, it might start to kind of not backfire but have kind of byproducts and 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 i wonder whether the dominance of bayern that we're seeing now which is also one of the reasons that people say oh you know Bundesliga is not worth watching whether that's not also part of of that kind of general strategy of the bundesliga not that the bundesliga wants that to happen but it's a it's a natural byproduct of if you as Borussia Dortmund or Borussia Mönchengladbach or whoever you are uh, or as the whole league if your kind of usp is not that you win titles or that you have the, the the drive to win titles, but your USP is that you develop young players, that you have a great atmosphere in your stadium, that you that you have economic stability and democratic structures, then you can maintain all those things, which those clubs have done really brilliantly and maintained a very strong fan base worldwide as a result. You can maintain those even if you're not winning Bundesliga titles. And so the the mid to long term, the kind of the, the need to beat Bayern to maintain the model um, kind of drops off, which I mean, you may say that, so what, you know, uh, everybody knows Bayern are going to win the league, you know, everybody still comes to the stadiums. It's not really about who wins the league as it, as it is in other leagues. It's it's about other stuff. But I think long term that that, that could be a problem. And, and I think German football needs now a, a, a team that, you know, I don't think it has to be through money either, but, but a team that kind of throws caution to the wind and says, all right, we're gonna we're gonna bring a bit of, of life back into this this league. And as much as I, I'd love it to be on your own, uh, my team or a Freiburg or a Frankfurt, I, I wonder whether those clubs are a bit too small still. Mm. Yeah, it always strikes me that if you want to talk about the product or the branding or whatever, the, you know, the the proposition to the audience, the Bundesliga German football is still very much about your local customers. Of course, you don't want to call them that, but it is really about, you know, keeping the fans happy as much as you can, trying not to push too much, trying not to have crazy kickoff times, trying to, you know, don't do things that alienate them. But these are not the same or not necessarily the same things that outsiders look for when they watch the Bundesliga. I think they both sort of, if it's a Venn diagram, I think they both meet where it comes to the atmosphere and the grounds. And when it comes to um, some of the better sides, the kind of quality that they can put out, Dortmund, Bayern, Frankfurt this season. But in the wider context, this very insulated Bundesliga, which is, exists in its own little bubble, protected from, from big money to a large extent, just doesn't... I think push many buttons for people who are not really necessarily watching football for those reasons because it's not their clubs. Mm. They don't have this intrinsic relationship with their clubs. They watch because they want to see the best players and it really doesn't matter for them how the sausage is made to go back to sausages, which <laughs> let's face it, we don't, the sausages were always going to fe- feature quite <laughs> quite largely on a, on a German podcast. 
but in this respect, I think nobody watches a cinema film and says, yeah, this is great, but I'm sure they borrowed a hundred million to do this. And, you know, that's too much money. Um, they should have just kept within their own means and maybe just made a smaller film. People want to see the showbiz. And I think the Bundesliga has different priorities. Yeah, but I think people do. Um, and this is what I think the Bundesliga has tapped into. I think there are certainly a lot of people who, who uh, has a grand tradition in cinema of, of being anti-Hollywood and, and uh, anti the showbiz and anti the, the razzmatazz and, and, you know, making you know, art house films or, and I think the Bundesliga has kind of marketed itself as, as the art house major European league in, in, in some ways. But I think even that kind of, uh, in itself contains a bit of a, uh, a contradiction and a, and a, and a, yeah, maybe just kind of differing expectations in that, as you say, I think the clubs do, uh, do it out of a sense of, uh, duty first and foremost to the local market. Um, and the, the, the idea that that is their, their primary responsibility to make sure that the, the communities and the people that they, uh, the, basically the, the foundation of their existence, uh, kind of serve first before any international fans. But I think then you have from the international fans perspective, I mean, I've seen increasingly kind of English fans say who will, and this anecdotal stuff, but will will you know, get interested in German football, be really kind of excited by it. And then complain a bit about how, how clubs aren't actually doing enough to, to access English fans or, or, or you know, uh, make sure British fans understand certain things or communicate certain things to British fans um, or English speaking fans. And I think I always think that's a kind of an interesting thing because on the one hand, it, it's, it's, exactly the, the 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 kind of local roots and the and the community spirit that people these people are finding interesting and yet ultimately that will freeze them out at some point there will be a point where that means that they don't get the same thing as as the guy locally on the ground who who is eating his bratwurst and you know has been going for 30 years and uh i think as you say that does mean that it, it kind of an, a natural bubble exists i i mean to be honest you know i'm i'm not uh, I wouldn't describe myself as a conservative, but I but I think in football probably I'm I'm more of a conservative than I am in, in uh, life in general and in politics in general, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. The thing is, it's very easy to expand and you know get richer and get success through money and all these things. It's very very hard then if you lose the 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 kind of soul and the and the, the heart of, of a football club or a, a football league or whatever to recreate it. And as long as the product is selling, as long as you can get in. The the best players then that's fine but if you then crash for whatever reason or, or you can't compete with you know you can't overtake the Premier League or La Liga then you, need, you do need something else and you need something and the, the the best resource that German football has is is that culture that it's kind of looked after and, and cared for in the last sort of 20-30 years so I think I think on the whole I'd be on the side of the Conservatives. Yeah and this is an interesting way of putting it because Probably a lot of the ultras you would classify as quite progressive, quite aware of social issues. Um, they will often protest against homophobia, against racism, against anti-Semitism. But at the same time, there's almost a reactionary revulsion against what they perceive as modernity in football and and money. And it's quite difficult defensive stance uh, and and conservative and certainly romantic uh, in a way as well which is quite a interesting mix and now maybe this takes us back to Qatar I think this is great that people have this concern that they're not just willingly to willing to blindly be 
clapping whatever happens that they feel responsible that they feel as if they need to defend certain traditions certain structures that they that they like that they think are right but sometimes you can't stop the train of history and uh, let's see how how things how things are in a few years i wonder i think and this is maybe we can talk about as we come to the end of this pod i wonder if the buy-in dominance will change eventually change mind or if people will say look it doesn't really matter to me whether buying win 10 times 100 times 150 times i only care about what my team what my team does and as long as i feel in touch with this team and and feel a sense of connection i don't care if they come 6th 7th 8th 2nd it's about supporting my team rather than winning with the help of let's say an external investor but that's going to be an interesting one to watch as as things continue on the path of bavarian dominance at this point said not at all smugly but <laughs> um yeah I, mean, I wonder as it's well with this just a fact of life <laughs> with the uh the super league question whether or not you know i think i think a lot of the reactions among some german fans is exactly that it was, it was fine let them go you know let them let them do their thing if people want to watch that if people really do these you know legacy fans and, and new fans if there are fans who really do just follow the star players around and only want to watch real madrid against liverpool and bayern then fine let them do that and we'll do our own thing and and it'll be more like us sport where you have a kind of uh, a major brand league and then uh you have a kind of you know a college system or a, a more amateur system underneath which has just you know uh, just as big crowds and is, is just as popular in its own way it just just isn't such a a massive uh product i guess i guess the kind of the, the reason why uh not everybody takes that tack is because the whole of european football is based on the trickle down uh economics of the big period pyramid and the fact that you know in theory Bayern's uh success on the global stage should also uphold amateur clubs or whatever and you need to ride the bottom of the pyramid and you need to find a new system of of funding in order to kind of make that work right yeah but i think that's way beyond our pay grade <laughs> So, Kit, we know there are two very different systems with different expectations and different traditions. But is there anything you think that uh, the Premier League could learn from the Bundesliga? Well, I think it was interesting when the when the Super League protests happened. You know, fans outside United and Chelsea and, and City's grounds, and, and you saw a lot of banners saying, "You know, fifty plus one now." And there was this kind of idea that the fifty plus one rule was would kind of be this panacea that would create fan democracy in England and and uh, then everything would be fine and, and you wouldn't have all the problems of, of uh, fans having English football. And I think that's a slightly kind of, um, although I appreciate the sentiment, I don't think it's entirely true because I think one of the, the strengths of German football is not is not just that you have this kind of, this single rule which guarantees that that members at most clubs are able to have a say in the way their club is run. It's, it's a much more widespread kind of body politic that exists around German football clubs where you have, you know, your protest movement in the ultras and you have your your civil society and certain fan groups that do, uh, that lobby within the club and, and do social projects without, out, without the club and, and, and you have boards who are, who are people who have, you know, filled by people who are, who are rooted in the region and, and, and know who to talk to and, and people know how to talk to them and it's, it's that the, the democracy in inverted commas of German, of German football clubs is a much more kind of holistic thing than just this this single rule so i think uh 
as as English football fans look to kind of take a little bit more power back, if you like, and 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 make the, the game a little bit more fan friendly, um, I think they they also need to look beyond just that structures of fan ownership and, and kind of surface level, um, you know, uh, issues like that, and 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 look into okay, we need to actually be creating communities here and, and creating bonds that can kind of last and 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 uh, yeah, withstand uh, any any kind of counter attack or, or long term uh, decay. You're in London. Uh, what 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 can uh, what can the Bundesliga learn from learn from England? Well, it's a question of how much they want to change, isn't it? Uh, they don't want to emulate the Premier League. Uh, the Premier League system is all about globalization, uh, inviting money, inviting people uh, in the clubs um, as much as as much as the uh, people who are kicking the ball around or on the benches, and it's just sucking up to sort of this talent, but. I think maybe two things. One, I would say the Bundesliga, because of its focus on on German language, sometimes can be a little bit insular when it comes to attracting coaching talent. Um, it's understandable that they want coaches to speak German, but perhaps it isn't that much of a thing these days when you have dressing room full of internationals and the Germans always speak reasonable English. And I would just like to see more input from abroad because foreign managers have really helped this league going back to its very beginning in the 60s when you had a lot of influence from Eastern Europe. Uh, before that, of course, even in, in, in the 20s and 30s. And I think these days it would be would be better for the league if there were was more of an international presence. I also think that the marketing can be better I think the design is a little bit safe, is a little bit dry, a little bit old compared to this very popping, very pop, um, very young Premier League brand identity. And I think the Bundesliga could do could do a little bit more connecting with with a slightly less hardcore audience, I would say, in that respect. So if they take your advice. Done if you're listening, Frankfurt. <laughs> so at this point, I think we should thank the listeners. I thank the German Embassy in London for having us. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll speak to you again sometime, maybe when the Euros come to England in a few years' time, if not before. Bye-bye. <laughs>